Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Throwing Up Bricks podcast, episode 19. That's right, we're still here. As always, I'm Jared, and that's Jake. Last night, the Utah Jazz became the 12th team in NBA history to blow a 3-1 lead, and the fourth in the past five years. Yeah, it was exciting. There's been a lot recently, man. That fourth in five years, 3-1 comebacks, that's crazy. It's, it's kind of, the crazy part is there was three in two years. That's the big kicker. That was the crazy part, yeah. yeah, back in the Golden State Prime days. Um, all right, so we got a lot to talk about this episode, um, a lot to talk about, holy crap. So we, we might go a little long, just as a forewarning here, uh, but as always, we'll start with housekeeping. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can always do so at throwingupbricksjj at gmail.com. That's throwingupbricksjj at gmail.com, pod name followed by JJ. You know the drill. Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, all yeah. that good stuff. Yep, all the good stuff. Um, isn't that like a saying for restaurant? All that good stuff. It's like, is that Applebee's? AMPM. AMPM. Thank Too you. much good stuff. Too much good stuff, which is just the opposite of the truth. But exactly. Okay. <laughs> Very little good stuff. Very little good stuff. <laughs> a lot of garbage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I really like to censor my it's hard to censor myself man sometimes like i just want to like spit out the vulgar words and, yeah okay uh yeah i don't have any more housekeeping let's just get right into it let's not waste any time let's hit it bow all right what are we going to talk about well <laughs> now that i said that there's so much obvious. to talk about yeah <laughs> let's start with game seven um i yeah, don't know about start. you but this was probably the most frustrating game i've seen in a long time yeah, to recap, the uh, the Nuggets beat the Utah Jazz in Game Seven, eighty to seventy-eight. That's right. It's not a mistype. Eighty to seventy-eight. I know it looks like a score from the nineties, but it is not. It is a score from today. <laughs> oh my goodness! The crazy part is just the contrast between this game and every game previous, which is just this scoring fest led by Donovan or uh, or Murray, and then you yeah. had those guys struggle at times through the game. Uh, Donovan kind of put up put up a pretty solid night at the end of the day, but just the frustration and all the missed layups, the missed threes, it was, it it reminded me of game seven Lakers Celtics in 2010. That's not a bad comp at all. Yeah. We're, we're, they just couldn't get it going offensively either team really. And while the nuggets, you know, they got their advantage really early. Um, by no means was it dominating. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it looked kind of dominating at halftime. They were up, uh-huh. I think, 15 points. I think they were up was, 19 at, at one point. It was 19. The yeah, they were up 19 at one point, but I think at, at halftime they were up 15. Um, and they had like 50 points at halftime. And then they proceeded to score 15 points over the next like 18 minutes, I think. It was, it was horrible. insane. It was horrible. And the Jazz got right back in it. Um, and they made it a game down the stretch, which was cool. You know, it's good that, you know, but this often happens, you know, it often happens that after a bunch of barn burners, the game sevens turned out to be a bit of a Jared Dudley. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was fun to watch out the series, the the back and forth between Mitchell and Murray. But uh, I enjoyed the end of this game, regardless of the, the ugliness that uh, came before. It's just so unprecedented. It's the first game seven in the bubble. Right. Um, and I think what you yeah. saw was everybody was just exhausted i mean you saw they got great looks there was a lot of open threes a lot of layups but guys are just missing shots they looked gassed especially the two stars yeah yeah i mean this is the first time in history that those two stars that we're talking about murray and and 
Donovan, this is the first time in history that two players in the same series have had multiple 50 point games. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, just look at these, these scoring totals from Murray and Mitchell, like Murray went 36 in game one, 14, 12. So two kind of duds there, but then he went 50, 42 and 50 back to back to back. And then he had 17 in this one. And then on the other side, Donovan was just as crazy. I mean, he went 57, remember, in game one, and he became like the third highest scorer in, in playoff history in a single game. And then he went for 30 in game two on crazy efficient shooting. He went 10 of 14 from the field in that one, 70% from the field. Then he had 20, a little bit of a letdown game, only shot like 38% from the field. And then 51 to match the 50 from Murray that game. And then 30, and then 44 to match the other 50 from Murray, <laughs> and then 22 in this one. So these dudes were just battling it out all series. And you saw it at the end there, like after the shot doesn't go in and Mitchell's in despair, and like they just embrace and like what must just be like the most respect they've ever shown to another <laughs> another guy that they've faced off against in this kind of battle. Uh, that was cool to see. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, going back to what you're talking about, about their shooting splits, even this game seven where they both didn't shoot great from the field, I think for the series, they were both averaging over 35 points a game, shooting 60 from three and like 65 or something from the field and 90 oh, it from was the free ridiculous throw series. It's, yeah. it's unprecedented because like I talked about in the earlier pod, there's no home court advantage in this whole bubble, no fans. It seems to encourage game to game explosion from guys. You know, it's you've seen a lot of guys, even role players, explode for huge games. And I think it's just it's that pickup atmosphere where anybody can get hot and there's no crowd to influence it. I'm with you. I really like that that feeling that you get. And I think there is something to be said for that pickup atmosphere. Um it's fun. I mean, we we clearly I mean, these aren't the two guys that you put at the top of your list to be doing this either, right? So it's awesome that we have these two young up and coming dudes to just, you know, carry the mantle for years to come. The the future looks bright with these two guys who I think they're both twenty three. So they're yeah. both like fair, fair, fairly young. Maybe Murray's 24. I don't remember. But yeah, it, it's great. And um, another thing to point out, though, because you, you did say how, you know, the scoring was a struggle here. I think the the big point in this game was the battle of the bigs for me. Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. Gobert showed up huge in this one. I mean, defensively, he was a beast. He was blocking shots left and right. He was altering things. He was getting out on, on the perimeter sometimes even and holding the zone. Um, and then he was scoring on big lobs and big putbacks and he was battling underneath. Um, and Jokic on the other end with his classic game winning flippy shot, uh, (laughs) at the end of his career, this dude's going to have like a half hour highlight reel of him just making weird flipping driveway dad shots (laughs) to win games. (laughs) He's so crafty. He's the reason that the nuggets won. I mean, without his scoring, um, he essentially almost scored half their points. He, he basically did. Yeah. What did he have? 30 in this one? Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Um, he's the only one that shot well, too, from the yeah. field. Like mm-hmm. He shot over 50% from the field for, for the team, and he's the only one to do that on the entire yeah. – except for Paul Millsap, technically, but he only took one shot and he made it. So yeah, uh, I don't think Millsap really counts in that yeah. respect. In a series where uh, Jokic has kind of been overshadowed by Murray, um, it was fitting to see him lead the team to victory. Um, it really was. Because you forget how good Jokic has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, his point totals are, are nothing to sneer at either. He went for 29 in game one, 28 in game two, 15. Okay, that's not great in game three. Um, but then another 29 in game four, another 31, another 22, and then another 30. So, yeah. like, he was pouring in the points too. Um, yeah. And then he gets you all those, those crazy assists and all those rebounds. So, like, he's he's doing it across the board. So, you kind of forget about him. But Which I think is good. I think they need – when they switch, they're, they're kind of train of thinking – the mm-hmm. Nuggets and they made Murray their 
lead guy. You know, they yeah. made him the number one option, the de facto scoring engine. I think that was a smart switch because he's the fiery in your face leader that you kind of need when you're down back against the wall in the playoffs like that, when you're down three, one, um, Jokic is an amazing player, but he's not that fiery kind of guy. He's not a leader. Sometimes he's even like lackadaisical out there and you forget he's even lollygagging around. So even though he impacts the, you know, the stat sheet every single night and he's doing amazing things for you, you need a fiery leader. And so I think when they flipped that switch, that was the turning point in the series there. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to talk about this game and specifically, uh, the thing I love about Donovan is his next shot mentality, that Kobe mentality that I just need one to fall and I'll get hot because he struggled immensely in the first half. And then at the beginning of the third quarter, he start, he hit like three floater off the backboard, tough shots in a row. And that kind of got him yep. going. He never loses his confidence. And in terms of his play style, I think it was Barkley that said it on one of their broadcasts that he reminds him of, of Mitch Richmond. And that's kind of the cop I was seeing too. He's a guy I really watched a lot of film of. And although he doesn't have the height of Richmond and probably isn't the, the three point shooter Richmond was that strength and that explosive and that ability to, to dictate the defense and get to the rim and, and use contact as a way to propel your shot. I think it, it's kind of a, looking in a mirror when you watch those two guys. Yeah. I like that comp. It's not bad. Cause you, f- you hear a lot of Wade thrown around, right? But I think they're kind of different players. Like I, I see the athleticism of young Wade. I see that. And I think that's mainly why people looked at it and saw uh-huh. it. And the way they kind of run is the similar Wade and, and Mitchell, right? Like they run very, they don't run vertically. Right. You know, uh-huh. when they're, they kind of glide along yeah, um, uh-huh. until yeah. they, until they elevate. Right. That's a good and point. I think that, that maybe really got the comp in people's minds. But other than that athleticism, I don't really see the same exact player. Like Mitchell does pull back for threes, right? He's a yep. little more perimeter shot oriented. Whereas Wade was, was very vertical, like very attack the basket 100% of the time vertical. And I think Wade was a little bit more of a playmaker too early on mm-hmm. um, yeah. than Mitchell, but Mitchell's grown into that. So, um, but I like your Mitch Rich comp. Yeah, I have a I have a somewhat different question. So now that this this game is over, um, we've seen other coaches after their bubbles have gone down in disappointment, gone down in flames, be fired. We didn't even talk about Nate McMillan. Uh, he got fired like a few days after the Pacers lost. I think to the, the day, the day, yeah, maybe yeah. it was the day. You're right. Um, which was crazy to me. I mean, Nate McMillan was a legitimate coach of the year candidate this year, and they fired him. Yeah. Which like I guess not the first time it happened. I mean, God, now I'm blanking on his name. The Raptor, the old Raptors coach, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey got uh, coach of the year and then got fired in the offseason, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it happens. But um it was just crazy to me. I didn't think Nate McMillan was that bad of a coach. I thought he did a great job with the, you know, the the hodgepodge nature of the roster this year, his superstars in and out of the lineup. They didn't even have, you know, their their all-star from this year in Sabonis. So I don't know. Um, that was crazy to me, but it's, it's the typical NBA thinking they've lost in the first round five years in a row. It's less about how talented he is as a coach. It's just, they feel like it's time for a change. And I, I agree. I mean, I don't know you, obviously he's a fantastic coach and you fit their team, but sometimes you just need a change. Like the Raptors, you need something different to get over that hump. Yeah. And you wonder how much of it was Oladipo driven, right? Um, Oh, definitely. Because yeah. they are a little bit on the cusp here of losing Oladipo in some senses. It almost feels like Oladipo is one foot out the door, which uh, honestly, I know this is going to be a weird take. If I'm the GM of the Pacers, I'm not that worried about losing Oladipo. I think Oladipo is the kind of guy who 
we've seen this in history. They get injured. They don't really ever recover their peak form that you saw. And yet they keep getting paid like it. And then they hamstring your franchise. I feel like that's what he's going to turn into. Like he's going to still going to be a good player, but he's not going to be a max player. And he's going to get paid the max by Mm -hmm. some team. And that's going to hamstring you. And so I think from my perspective, losing him would almost be a given a good thing, but you obviously never want to lose somebody of that caliber and they love him there. So that's probably what they're thinking. I've heard McMillan was a little hesitant to modern NBA styles too. Like he was was a little more rooted in old defensive gunk it up sort of things. And and maybe Oladipo is their nominal star doesn't like that. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where they go. There's a lot of coaches shuffling around right now. So as there always is, as there always is. Yep. And so maybe they just swap teams. I don't know. Maybe Gentry comes to town. Who knows? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so let's let's move on. What sort of related to that? I wanted to ask you: Do you think Quinn Snyder is now done in Utah? Because he's had a good long while. I think seven years now at the helm for Quinn Snyder, um, and they've never advanced past the second round. So, I mean, what do you do if you're Utah? Do you do you move on from Snyder? He's he's shown a, a great ability to connect with his his players, you know, and they they like him, and he does get you this far every year. Um, but he also shows an inability to kind of change as the series goes on. You know what I mean? Like make he, adjustments. Make, he can't make adjustments. He's, he's definitely not a Nick Nurse in that sense. Um, and he, he just seems to to suffer a little bit at the hands of other opposing smart coaches. Because honestly, I would have asked this question either way this series went. If Utah had won, um, I would have asked the same question uh, conversely about, about Mike Malone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, because I think they've been with their team similar amounts of time and had similar amounts of success in terms of not advancing past the second round. So I think it's a question, especially based on what happened to McMillan and what's happened to Gentry and all these. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's the culture of both the NFL and the NBA. It's it's coach receives the blame for most of the failure of a team because you can't really fire a player. Those, those contracts are guaranteed, but you can fire a coach. Um, It's, I wouldn't be surprised if they let Snyder go. Uh, but in this sense, I just I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the players are the ones that are on the court and are the ones playing in these playoff games. If a coach is able to gel a team and get them to a point where they are a contender, which I think the Jazz are, I don't see how a change is gonna gonna fix that. Yep, but like you said earlier, um, I didn't think it was McMillan's fault. I didn't think exactly. it was Gentry's fault, and yeah. they got fired anyways because they were just looking for a change. So I, yeah. I think. I think it may happen here, really. I think this might be Quinn Snyder's last year, even though no one really saw that coming. I agree. I'd put the money on that as well. Be on the lookout. It's coast change season. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's look forward. Let's segue right from Denver uh, winning this amazing series um, right into Denver versus Clippers, You know their matchup. Do you have much to say about the final Clips-Mavs game? I don't have much to say other than, I, I mean, Kawhi was awesome. He's a robot, just like always, putting up 30 basically every game. Yeah. Just dragging that team to victories. And the refs kind of helped the Clippers win uh, and, you know, hamstrung the Mavs even before Chris Tapps went down with an injury. So I, yeah. I think this is kind of like a fake series to me where, like, the NBA only gave the Mavs one fair game. And then the rest of the time they dictated what happened. But yeah, I agree. The refs were horrible. It could have been a much different series. Um, Backing on your Kawhi comment, he's probably been the most underrated player in the bubble playoff so far. He's just been so efficient and deadly that it's almost boring yeah. to talk about him. It um, is. It's weird like that. But what I got from the series is that the Mavs 
aren't as bad defensively as we thought they were. Um, I think they stepped up. I think they have a hugely bright future. And on the other end, I see this Clippers-Nuggets matchup as a lot more threatening than I did before. I was worried about the Lakers playing the Rockets or the Thunder. Um, I was worried about that matchup, upset that the Rockets didn't fall in the standings and play a matchup with the Clippers. Mm -hmm. But I think either the Jazz or Nuggets are the much deadlier team now, Um, especially the Nuggets, how hot they are. So I'm actually yeah, excited about this matchup. This might be the best series in the West uh, for this next round. It might be. I mean, the it might be simply for me because I hate watching Rockets games. Yeah, um, they're so boring to me. Like even with the infusion of Westbrook, the problem is he's not really up to speed. We saw how rusty he was in in the game here back. Um, and I just I don't know, man. I just actually a couple games back, right? He's been back a couple games now. So. Um, I don't know. I just don't like watching Rockets games. So even though I'm going to watch them because they're Laker games and I'm a Lakers fan, um, I don't think the stylistic, I think the stylistic clashing will be bad. Actually, it'll be boring and slow and ugly to watch. Um, so I'm with you for that. For that reason alone, I think Denver versus Clippers is going to be more entertaining, even though I think it's a more one-sided series. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, for that series, my keys to this series, and I'll ask you about yours as well. My mine are are pretty brief to touch on here. The wing matchup, I think, advantage Clippers easily. I think they have by far the superior wings. Um, even though, I, and we didn't mention it in the Utah talk there, but I thought Gary Harris, even though he was a garbage on offense and he was basically a non-factor, and I don't even know if he actually made a shot. If he did, I didn't see it. Um, but he, defensively, he came up huge time and time again. Yeah, and I thought yeah. once he came back, he gave them a defensive option at least on Donovan Mitchell. Exactly. Yeah, he's definitely a plus being back, regardless of his rust. He is. Yeah, and you saw it in that last possession where he stripped the ball from mm-hmm. uh, from Donovan, right? And then that basically sealed the game. Had the Nuggets actually taken advantage and dribble at the clock instead of going for a layup and giving, missing it, and then giving, <laughs> oh my God, Mike Conley a shot at it. That was a stupid. Yeah, switch. we did just gloss over that, and we I, did. I think we we're really talking did. before the pod. And if Tory, if that, if Conley hits that shot and Jazz win that series, Tory Craig and Jamal Murray would probably like go idiots. down as some of the biggest chokers in NBA playoff history. All they had to do was dribble it out. They got the steal. They have the lead. And then they're going on a fast break and they missed the layout. It's like, what are you doing guys? I, but I, I was baffled. I had nothing to say after that. I was in shock that they actually did that. Yeah, that was, that was strange, but whatever young team, I guess still I'm figuring it out. But, but I think that's part of the problem. I think the Clippers are way more experienced and they're just smarter. They won't make those mistakes like the, the nuggets will. Um, they have the advantage on the wing because like, even though Gary Harris showed up and can play some defensively, he's certainly no match offensively and really not a match defensively for Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. And so I think the Nuggets only advantage is really the bigs, yeah. you know, uh, having Jokic down there against even though Zubats, I love Zubats and he's done a really good job. Um, been great. He's been great, but Jokic is a different weight class, you know, like he's been going up against lightweights and now he's going to go up against the heavyweight champion of the world in Jokic. And it's going to be a different battle 100% of the time. That's who's going to be the be- the better pudgy guy. Oh yeah. We'll see which pudge the is pudgier. <laughs> um, but the yeah. guard matchup is interesting as well. I don't know what you think mm-hmm. about that, but I, I think it basically hinges on whether Murray's on fire or not. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. I think, 
Murray's going to have to be unbelievable, especially because he's going to be guarded by Kawhi and Paul George, which is a lot better echelon. Yeah, they got a lot of guys to throw on him. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the Clippers is even if at times they don't look dominant and they, they, they're going to win these series in six games, it's not going to be a blowout. Uh, the fact that they have Kawhi Leonard, who might be the best player in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's the only advantage you need, really. Yeah, I just, they're too deep. They're too good. They're not going to blow you out, but they're going to win. They are going to win. I think it's just a question of how many games Denver takes, if any. Uh, exactly. Because <laughs> um, the Clippers, you know, they kind of play down. Excuse yes. Me, they kind of play down to their they opponents. Do. They do. If the Nuggets come out flat, you could almost see the Clippers coming out flat the next game. So <laughs> um, that wouldn't be crazy to me. And then just talking about like scheme wise, I think the Clippers have the advantage on defense for sure. Cause we, we mentioned that as a problem against Utah. Basically the Nuggets had nobody to guard Donovan Mitchell. They had nobody to play defense. That's why they were losing. If mm-hmm. you remember some of the games, you know, that got them in that three, one hole. And so if you're telling me that their biggest problem is defense and they're about to go against the Clippers who have way more scoring and way more versatile scorers, that's that's even more disadvantage i don't even know how to put that into how to quantify that yeah um so yeah i think the clippers have the landslide advantage here but i think it will be more interesting just from a gameplay perspective oh yeah uh, every game is gonna be fun to watch yeah yeah do you have predictions for this or do you have anything else to say about the matchup clippers and six um like i said the clippers don't they kind of play with their food they they play down to their competition do. but at the end of the day they're going to get the important wins and you probably have the clutchest player in the nba uh so no doubt clippers and six i like the clippers and six pick i'm debating whether i should go clippers and five even because i even though they do play with their food i feel like it's getting closer and closer to the lakers matchup and then they'll want to ramp it up accordingly because they are a professional team they're very professional whatever you yeah. say about them so I'm almost, yeah, I do love Denver and they, you know, they came through on my faith in them in round one uh, and they, they got my prediction there beat by beating Utah. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go Clippers in five. I think, I think they're that much better than the Nuggets. Unfortunately, I think the games will be close, but I think the Clippers will pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. We spent a lot of time talking about that, but there was a lot of content to cover there. So makes sense. We still got a lot of series left. Let's move on to the series that are already in, in play now. Yep. How about that? Um, okay. Celtics versus Raptors. We have two games in the books here. Celtics won both. They're now up 2-0 on the Raptors. The first game was a bit of a blowout. We talked about a little bit about that. The second game was much closer, and it almost looked like the Raptors had it until they just just let it go at the very end. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What were the keys so far in this series? What are you looking at? The key for me is just how elite the Celtics look on both ends of the floor. Um, they do. I think we've kind of glossed over them throughout these playoffs just because you don't really see them as a contender on paper when you're looking at teams like the Lakers and the Clippers, but they might be the best team in the East right now, um, especially with Tatum playing at this phenomenal level he has all playoffs. Uh, I don't know that I think I'm going backpedaling and I think the Celtics are going to take the East crown this year. It does look bad for our Raptors picks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, my biggest, I don't know, disappointment, I guess for the Raptors is that Siakam is just not mm-hmm. ascended. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should have put more stock in 
how he performed over the latter half of the year and the and the bubble in general, how he's been struggling. Because he and Marcus all have been struggling all bubble, like really badly. And we kind of overlooked it. We kind of just assumed they'd put it together because the Raptors as a whole were performing well. But it seems like he's not able to put it together against this stiff of a competition, at least not yet. I mean, he had some moments. He had some moments in these these two games, but he's just not as as good off the dribble, right? Like I think Jay Skates yeah. brought it up in in one of the recent starters podcasts. Um, there was probably a time last year, maybe, where you thought Siakam versus Tatum is an actual discussion. Who do you rather have? Uh-huh. That's not even a question now, right? Nobody nobody would pick Siakam. Even a Raptors diehard would pick Siakam in that toss up. Now, now you're like Tatum, 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 Tatum. Like he's a cornerstone. You see the superstar in him. He's here. He's arrived. Whereas yeah. Siakam is, is almost regressed a little bit, even though his scoring is up from last year. He's kind of regressed. His handle's not where it needs to be. He can't really generate his own shot except by spinning 18 times like he's in a walking machine. <laughs> um, so it's it's a little disappointing to see him fall flat here in this series where he does have a little bit of size on those wings. So I thought he could use that to his advantage, but he's yet to do so. Um, and Freddie's the other disappointing guy for them. He's he shot a lot, <laughs> like he scored a lot last game, but not very efficiently, not super yeah. efficiently. Yeah, he's I think he just needs to hold his kid. Yeah, he, he needs that bump. <laughs> he needs Freddie Jr. bump. Exactly. My whole thing with the Raptors is, uh, uh, I messed up as an analyst essentially by picking them because regardless of how good they looked in the first round against a bad Brooklyn team, and regardless of their championship pedigree and all that, you can't win in the modern NBA without a, at least one superstar and they don't have a superstar. They have a very hardened core group of veteran stars that can get it done, but they don't have that guy that can take over a game on a consistent basis. Um, and I think I overlooked that in, in picking them and you just can't do that in a league with guys like Giannis, LeBron, AD, even Tatum, you can throw in that conversation. Yeah, I think that is the advantage that Boston has because Tatum's ascending to that level. He's proving to be the superstar that they need. Um, maybe not on a super consistent basis yet. You know, not on par with the tops of the league, the Kawhis, the LeBrons, the ADs. But he's showing that he can be that guy at least one or two games at a time. And that's important because that is the advantage they have, like you said. And maybe also, like you said, we overrated the Raptors a little bit because they beat up on a really bad Nets team, whereas the Celtics beat up on a much better Sixers team. Even though mm-hmm. as de- disappointing as the Cel- uh, sorry the Sixers can be, they are objectively much better than the Nets as currently yes. screwed without much any better. of their stars. And the Celtics just took it to town just as thoroughly as the Raptors put it on the Nets. So, yeah, maybe we just maybe we didn't think about that. We didn't put enough stock in how bad certain key players for the Raptors have looked in the bubble, like mm-hmm. Siakam and Marcus Gasol and stuff. So it's not looking great. Not looking great. Uh, especially if you're subscribing to a home road split here in the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Two home games yeah. for the Raptors. So <laughs> they're going on the road now. <laughs> yeah, that's another big thing. I mean, you got no home court advantage for the Raptors and you're playing on even ground. So it does kind of come down to your star player. That's what it's been throughout the playoffs. Mitchell, Murray, LeBron, AD, all these players that have won games for their teams have played unbelievable basketball. And you're not seeing that from anybody on the Raptors. You're not. And remember I said, I thought it might be Freddie because he's the only one that had been showing up at least in that first round series game after game after game. 
but uh, he's looked pretty bad. He looks like he's struggled a little bit with the rangy defenders that the Celtics have. Like he struggled a little bit with getting a, his shot off cleanly, which I thought they, I thought it would be the converse. I thought he would give the Celtics a little bit of fits because they generally struggle against smaller guards that can, can weave their way in and out of traffic, but they've been great on him. They've been throwing a rotating cast on him. So they're not leaving Kemba on him for long stretches. And I think yeah. that's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of smart, Marcus smart back to back, good shooting games, or at least, you know, stretches of games yeah. where he's just been on fire. The dude went for 15 straight points, 16 straight points, sorry, in the fourth quarter here and made, that's how they came back from this Raptors lead and beat him in game two. I mean, it's insane what the guy is doing. It's, I remember whenever he got that contract extension, I think it was just this year. Um, you had a lot of people questioning it in terms of the value he brings to the team, but I think he's proven throughout his career that he's always improving on something and what yeah. he always gives you, the defensive end will always be there and his explosion offensively, his ability to create, to hit three point shots on a consistent basis. He's probably the most underrated player in the NBA. I think. Yeah. I'll push back a little bit. I think we've, We've said Marcus Smart is underrated for so long that he's now become properly or maybe even overly yeah, rated. I guess so. because he does have his deficits. And, but but I, I'm with you. He needs to be celebrated for for things that don't always show up on the stat sheet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I get that. So okay, I yeah. If I were today to reevaluate this series, I would definitely choose the Celtics. I'm, I'm jumping ship on their apps, but that's not how it works. I pick the apps. I'll stick with them. Let's go Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> we the North. <laughs> we the North. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to another series, if you don't mind. Um, another series that's already underway, at least one game in the books, the Bucks versus the Heat. Um, so the Bucks versus the Heat. The Bucks lost to the Heat in game one of the series. Surprise, surprise. 115 to 104, the, Bucks, the, the Heat downed them. And it was Jimmy time. It was all oh. Jimmy time. He scored 40 in this one. What you got to say about the big Jim? I mean, he's he is who we thought he was. He's <laughs> they he's, are who we thought they were. <laughs> exactly. He's a guy who is not afraid of the moment, who's going to take over at key times, regardless of how he's shooting to start a game. He didn't play fantastic in the first half. Drogic kind of kept them in the game in the beginning with their scoring. Uh, but when he gets hot like that, he has the utmost confidence in himself that he can will himself to performances like this. Um, and even more so to the other end, the Bucks, Giannis was nowhere to be found in the fourth quarter, which is kind of worrisome. Giannis was nowhere to be found at all during the game. He had a real stinker. I mean, 18, he, he had 18, 10 and nine. So it looks kind of okay on the surface, but he only shot 12 shots. I mean, yeah. Middleton was the guy getting buckets for this team mm-hmm. in this one. He went for 28 on 50% shooting from the field and from three. So Middleton finally showed up. I mean, all those Middleton haters can shut up, but Giannis didn't perform like the 1A he is. He didn't perform like the two-time back-to-back MVP. So that's that's an underplayed part uh, or underrated, underspoken about part of, of this series dynamics, right? That we didn't probably address as much as we probably should have because way back before the bubble started, you remember, I was harping on the fact that we have to see how Giannis performs in the playoffs. Teams time and time again have just backed off him and dared him to shoot and and said, you know, you can't beat us on your own because you can't shoot well enough um, and you can't drive into us and around us. And I thought that was something that I didn't think teams would deviate from. It's it's not proven to not work yet. So why wouldn't you keep doing that? And that's what the Heat did here. I mean, they threw long rangey one-on-one defenders against him and then said, okay, you just get that guy one-on-one. 
and he's going to give you a little bit of space so that it, you don't have, you know, you can't really drive past him as well or as easily as you want to. And we're going to risk you shooting. We're going to risk you having a hot night from three because we don't think you can beat us otherwise. And it worked, you know, it worked. They took basically Giannis out of the game, which I never really thought would happen with an MVP um, and left the, you know, the bit players for the Bucks to pick up the slack. And they tried, you know, Middleton and Lopez had 20, 28 and 24 respectively. They really tried, but Lopez is really phenomenal. not enough. Lopez has been great, but it's not enough. You need Giannis to play like your superstar, especially if Jimmy's going to conversely play like the superstar for the other team, right? Yeah. He's putting up 40, a 40 spot on you on efficient shooting. That's insane. He went to the free throw line like 13 times again. I mean, Jimmy Butler is pulling his best James Harden impersonation right now. Yeah. He just marching to the free throw line. Craziest thing is he hit two three pointers. The yeah. dude has averaged taking a half a three a game throughout the season and he nails two huge threes. Yeah. And I thought Bam did a great job as well. Um, on Giannis, I I highlighted that as a key to the series. I thought, but I thought it would go the other way. I thought exactly. Giannis would have his way with him. And yeah. Bam held his own, man. Bam's a stud. Um, and then Dragic, FIBA Dragic, still showing up. Another twenty-seven here from Dragic. He's been Is fantastic. Never going to slow down. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like we said, none only played sixteen minutes in this one. Six points didn't shoot amazing from the field, but it didn't matter because Dragic is killing it. So, like, yeah. if you have those three guys just leading the way every night. You don't really need much from anybody else. Um, anything you get is just, you know, cherry on top, I guess. Exactly. I mean, I'm not going to overanalyze the Bucks. It's one game. Um, I think they're going to come back. Um, I'm not too worried about them. We'll see what happens. But the thing I took from this is how much fun the Heat are to watch for me. And I think I figured it out. It's because they're so, they might be the most unconventional team in the NBA. They really are. Their star player is a undersized small forward who doesn't and can't really shoot threes. Um, yet they are the second leading team in three pointers this season. Yep. And then you got possibly your best shot creator and, and, and a guy who can break down a defense comes off the bench. You've got a D three, former D three athlete shooter. Who's become possibly the best shooter in the NBA. That's not from San Francisco. Your best passer is your center. I, yeah. They're just Who's the another side center at that. Mm-hmm, right? Exactly. Like he's only six, eight, six, nine. So like it, it is a weird team and it's fun to watch. I'm with you. I love watching the weird teams. Like that's why I picked Denver. Like I think they're kind of weird too. So like, I don't know. Like I'm with you. That's a great point. They're always fun to watch. Um. However, I, yeah, I will say I'm, I'm worried about the bucks. I think this game showed the holes that they have and showed how Miami can take advantage of those. You can exploit those weaknesses. However, if Giannis plays like the superstar he is, I think this is a completely different game from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I I think Giannis really needs to dominate. He just needs to imprint, make his imprint on the game. You know, he he went to the free throw line 12 times, but only made four of them. So you can't be doing that, man. You got to at least he airballed three. Jesus. Okay. I didn't see that. <laughs> um, yeah, he was, he was bad in this one. You know, it's just plain and simple. He was bad. So he needs to shake off whatever happened there and become Shaq 2.0. Like, like we said, he is in the past, right? He needs to become a dominant force that no one can stop. And he can do that because like we said, the best defenders that the heat have to throw at him are undersized. You know, they don't have the size to stick with him. So maybe he needs to stop initiating the offense at the top. And maybe he needs to get the ball down low somehow and start there um, if they're just going to back off him and leave him for threes and stuff. Um, or he just needs to, I don't know, find a way to get in transition more and dominate there. Yeah. 
Um, I think you could chalk it up to just being a weird game. I mean, the Heat won this game while only having seven fast break points, I think. So maybe it's just an outlier and we'll see what happens in game two. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll hold off our suspicion there. We won't put them quite in the uh, panicking Raptors bucket yet. Exactly. Okay. Um, Last series I think we should really touch on here. It's, I know we covered the series that are still ongoing at the beginning, at the top, but we wanted to save this for last because we think it has the most implications going forward as well. Uh, Thunder versus Rockets. So in this latest game, the Thunder managed to even the series by beating the Rockets 104 to 100. Down the stretch, Chris Paul took over, and James Harden did not. And I think that's the storyline, right? Uh, I mean, for those of you who watched the game, um, at the, the last possession the Rockets had, uh, Russell Westbrook took the ball up the court, drove, and threw a horrible pass out to Robert Cover or PJ Tucker, I think it was, that just yeah. went flying out of bounds and essentially ended the game for the for the Rockets. It did. It ended the game. I mean, Russ had seven turnovers in this one mm-hmm. and only three assists. Like he's he he looked a little bit better shooting from the field. He had he was eight of fifteen in this one and one for two from three. And he had seventeen points. So that's that's better, but he's looked really rusty. Really rusty. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 I have one for this. I have something. Yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> he looked really bad in these two games here. Um, and so I have a weird question. Like if he never comes back, if they're still missing Westbrook and he's still rehabbing or whatever, have the Rockets already closed out this series by now? I don't know. Uh, maybe because I'm baffled at the the coaching, the the player decisions. I don't know why James Harden did not have the ball at that last possession. There's no reason why. He didn't weird. even try to get the ball. He was walking up the court while Westbrook was driving. The, the, it's very weird. It should have been in his hands. He should have taken the last shot, and I think they should have closed out the Thunder. Because that's not usually Harden. Harden's usually the guy that, yeah, give me the ball. I'm going to shoot or die by what I'm doing. Um, yeah, and I think Westbrook has conformed to that throughout the season that come crunch time, it's going to be Harden taking the last shot. Except in this instance, which is weird. And I mean, I guess Harden did struggle a little bit and down the stretch of that fourth quarter. Like he had a few turnovers. He had a few missed shots. So maybe he was feeling the effects of those. and Or maybe this was just classic Russ where he feels like, uh-oh, you know, Harden's struggling. My other teammates can't do anything. I'm just going to take over. And I, I guess sometimes that works with Westbrook. But more often than not, the answer to that question is you lose. Yeah. Um because Westbrook is not a good enough shooter. He's not a good enough decision maker down the stretch. I agree. Um, so I'm with you. I think Harden should have taken over. I should have, He should have demanded the ball. He should have been like, we're living or dying with what I'm doing. I know you're great, Russ, but I'm the one who's been playing. You're a little rusty, and we need a real shot here. And that didn't happen. And so. not to take away from what the Thunder did, um, I think the stats back it up, but Chris Paul has the most points in crunch time in the NBA this season. And he sh- yep. he's done it time and time again. He's had oh, such he's a shredded. resurgence for this for this OKC team and his career. He really has. Yeah, he's shown up. He was a little. I mean, he was the reason they were really losing those first few games, right? Because he was not himself in the first few games of this series. Um, but he's turned it around here, and he's turned it on a lot. Him and um, Schroeder are really the reasons why the Thunder are still in these this series and these games in general, because Schroeder has been a spark plug for them. He's been pouring in the points. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have an amazing game in this one. We can debate whether he shouldn't have even played based on the nut shot in the last game or whatever. Um, 
But for the series as a whole, he's been a driving force when everybody else has been kind of lackadaisical. But in this one, you're right. CP3 asserted, I am the point god. I'm here to play. And I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to take over down the stretch, and I'm going to be clutch. Um, they did also get a nice game from Gallinari, so that's good to see because we discussed how he had basically disappeared the last yeah. three games. Uh-huh. Um, so it was good to see him pouring 25 in here on, on efficient shooting. Um, but Shea's been kind of bad the last few games, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, he has kind of faded. Yeah, looked a little lost. He's still a young guy. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and just say, you know, it's just young guy syndrome back against the wall, not really knowing what to do. Um, but yeah, they did a great job. So let's not, like you said, let's not take away anything from the thunder. They did a great job to come back and then to take over in the, at the end in this one. Um, was this a must win for the Rockets in a weird way? I mean, oh, I know yes. it was a must win to, um, to even the series for the thunder, but for the Rockets, does this take the win out of their sails now for game? Seven? I think so. I have the OKC winning tonight and closing out the series. And yeah. some of that may be due to my frustration, as much as I love Russell Westbrook and as much as I am a fan of Harden and want him to succeed, I am done with the Rockets. I can't deal <laughs> with them anymore. My point. <laughs> They've been this way for the past half decade, and I'm sick of it. How many times you. are you going to bring the same team with the same philosophy into the playoffs and lose time and time and time again? Yes, come to the dark side. We have chicken wings. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't watch another Rockets game. Yeah, I can't either. I never could. So I'm I'm glad that the Thunder have turned it around here and at least have a shot to knock them out. Also, because I'm a Lakers fan, I think facing the Thunder is a much better proposition for the Lakers. We match up much better. I agree. Um, so also for that reason. But but yeah, I just don't like watching Rockets basketball. And I'm going to have to watch Rockets basketball if they win because I'm watching all the Lakers games. So yeah, I, I may be a little selfish and not really very analytic. Uh, and analysis driven analysis driven i think that's the word i'm looking for analytic is a word i made up okay um it's not very analysis driven but i just don't like the rockets they're boring their style of basketball is ugly i just don't you know respect to the players they're great players i've loved seeing eric gordon's resurgence here he's been key in this series but honestly if he was the one taking the shot and handling the ball down the stretch instead of westbrook they probably would have been better off I, i really do think if westbrook doesn't come back they've won the series already because they were firmly in control I mean, oh. I I just I can't I can't fathom why they continue to run this model into the playoffs. They traded Chris Paul for Westbrook and a bunch of picks, and Chris Paul is kicking their butts, right? And Westbrook yep. has been a non-factor. It's it's the James Harden syndrome where the way they've built their team time and time again has proven to fail. You can't have a ball dominant dribble, dribble, dribble guard leading you in a playoff series, regardless of in the bubble or not. And I, I think, and I hope this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and it's time to blow up the Houston Rockets. Yeah. I have a feeling they won't completely blow up because as long as you have James Harden on your roster, you have a shot, but oh yeah, they won't, but they should. Yeah. I mean, it's too, I hate the Rockets, right? But even still, though I hate the Rockets, it is a little bit too bad that they've run into some basically bad luck over the last few years, right? If CP3 doesn't, you know, hurt his hamstring, they're they're that far away from getting to the finals and yeah. then probably beating the Cavs because I think they were better than the Cavs that year. So they're a ham, hamstring pull away from getting to the finals and possibly winning the championship. And then, you know, they're a cold streak away from beating the, the Golden State 
Like if they didn't just go absolutely cold from three, they're also oh, for 27 over oh, a billion. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, they've run into some bad luck and then here, you know, not having Westbrook, the whole series healthy, you know, him being injured and only coming back into the series injured and rusty. Um, that's some pretty bad luck. I don't know. It just seems to hit them a lot. And I'm a firm proponent of bad luck can be a thing, but most likely bad luck is a sign of you not is a sign of your process being flawed, right? Like yeah. if you're weak to bad luck, then you were never really built to win anyways. Exactly. You shouldn't be reliant on good luck. So yeah, I'm with you. Hopefully this is the end of this Rockets. Um, I mean, the pocket Rockets are a fun experiment, I guess, but the style of play they play is not fun to watch. And yeah, sayonara. Um, but, you know, it could not be over. They could absolutely win. Harden could go for 50 and they could win. That easily can happen, right? Oh, yeah. So it, mm-hmm. it's definitely not over by any means. Um, we'll see. We'll be watching. We'll be watching. And I think I speak for both of us when I say rooting for the Thunder. So... <laughs> Agreed. Um, great. We went through everything. I think we didn't talk any Lakers. You're welcome for that, listeners. Um, and I think we talked all the other series though. So going forward, I know this is a bit of a longer one, but we had a lot to talk about. And I think going forward, we're only going to have at max two games per day. So we'll have a lot less games, a lot less pure volume of stuff to talk about and we can focus in a little bit more we can get more into depth analysis which we would like to do instead of the surface level stuff right and uh yeah then i think we can get the podcast back down to a manageable length after this so uh anything else jake any other comments concerns lead questions at large we didn't talk mm. about the nut punches from Schroeder other than in passing um, mm. i could get a boo you can get a boo okay we'll end it there then Get a bit from Jake and peace from me. We'll see you in the next one.